0: and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from, what? The presence of the Lord. I want to pray with my Father, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts today. pray that this wouldn't be just another sermon, another Sunday, another moment where we check our time card, as I'm so often going to be doing self work but that's the day we would find it you would shine a light as it were on our hearts that you he would show us in this story how your grace has shown up in our lives and overtaken us, how we are from the wonder of the song. Sang. Yet you are so full of love and grace for us in your And I pray that that way, not just be a cool intellectual.
1: So three elements of the story
0: today: the prophet, the pendulum, and the pursuit. The prophet, the pendulum, and the pursuit. Okay. Do we have any overachievers here? Anybody? Anybody like to get good grades? You work really hard, at work. You want to be like the, get the best review among all the employees? Anybody? Yes. Yes. How about this? Do we have any here today? Like when you drive, you keep glancing in the rearview mirror just in case there's a cop back there. Naturally got yeah. yeah. It wasn't too hard for me to think of an example of that because that's pretty much how I drive all this. I have kids, I'll be driving 65, and I'm still looking in the rearview mirror. It's a habit I've developed over a lifetime of know. a rebel. Um. <laughs> so the sermon is for you, the sermon is for me today, because we are all like Jonah in some ways. Just like we're working hard one minute. We're getting really hard at in the next minute, running our own way, and finding ourselves at times fully shipwrecked in the need of God's grace. Amen? You know? Yeah. It's very subtle how it happens. You guys have a lot of needy people in our church. You guys know this. If you go out on a trip and you're going somewhere, for instance, uh, if you're going to Japan from here on a boat, and you're one degree off, are you going to notice it first? You don't really notice at first, do you? But when you end up trying to arrive at a soccer, wherever it is that you can, and you're trying to land, you're going to notice you're miles off course, right? It's subtle how it happens. It's subtle how we can get off track, just one degree. I think that's what happens to a lot of us. We start off in our journey of faith, like, focused on the grace of God, because that's how the journey starts for all of us, right? God's grace radically captures us, and we're like, man, that's amazing. But quickly and subtly, oftentimes we get 20 off, two degrees off, and we end up like, what the heck is going on in my face? This isn't all it's cracked up to be. I thought community was going to be like a paradise on earth, what in the world? It's made up of people who are sometimes jerks. (laughs) anybody ever been there? I thought mission would be a lot sexier this is hard work, man. You get one degree off course and we end up burnt out, frustrated, exhausted, and it's like, where is this abundant life that Jesus is bring? As we dive into the story today, the waters that Jonah swam in, I think we're going to find some buried treasure, some things that really help us along our journey to get back on track. So, let's, let's dive in. Number one, the prophet. Who is Jonah? Who's this guy? What do we you know about him? You may be surprised to learn he's not only mentioned in this book; he's actually mentioned earlier in the Bible. Second Kings is a time when there's this this king, Jehosh, uh, sorry, not Jehosh, Jeroboam, and Israel's in this horrible place economically. That the surrounding armies are threatening to come in and overtake them, and they a really tight spot. And God graciously sends word to King Jeroboam and says, "Strengthen the northern borders," and gives him step-by-step step directions to fix the nation's plight. And, and look at what it says. It wasn't just the king's brilliant military strategy. Look at, look at what God tells him to do. Um, 2 Kings 14. Jeroboam did it according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Ether. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very great. And there was none to help Israel, and God made it clear that He would not blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam. So God cares for Israel enough to send Jonah to the king to tell him what to do in this really difficult time. So by this time that the story that we're about to dive into rolls around, Jonah's famous. He's like a national hero. You know, he's got the key to the city on his desk, he's got pictures of him and celebrities lim- on the wall, he's got his own Facebook fan page. Jonah's rocket, he's living the good life. And uh and in fact, uh, love what Tulian Division says about this, he says, all of this stuff that Jonah must have done before, all of this must have only intensified Jonah's sense of national and spiritual pride as a son of Israel. Is Jonah we he's he's found his identity and his achievements. But all that is about to be lost Because one day Jonah, he's sitting around his house, and his cell phone rings. It's God. <laughs> it's all was his cell phone. I don't know how the word of God came to him, but the word of God came to him. Maybe it was a homing pigeon. I have no idea. Maybe God, an angel showed up. Maybe God in the flesh. But one way or another, God sends his word to Jonah. And he tells him, right, to go and preach to Nineveh. And this time something's different. We see a different side of Jonah. Immediately we see this different side. Instead of honoring God and accepting God's mission, what's he doing? No thanks. I'm out of here. And he takes off and he goes the complete, exact, opposite way. When God's word comes to him this time, something's totally different. Instead of, like you said, sometimes we're off like one or two degrees, Jonah's off 180 degrees. Like, look at the map. I think we got a map here. He's, he goes to Java, and instead of going up to Ananias, he goes the exact opposite direction, all the way over to Tarshish. What are you doing, Jonah? Why are you running from God? Let me ask you guys a question. When the word of God comes to you, how do you respond? Obedience. <laughs> Obedience. Nice. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> 60% of the time I'm obedient. Do <laughs> you ever walk the other way? How do you guys, let me ask you, what's that all about? How do you guys relate to God in this passage? That it is rebellious. you can be rebellious, yeah. Like, the God of the earth comes and tells you to do something very, very specific. And it's like, yeah, I've got a better idea. I've got a better plan than yours, guy. Anybody? If I'm in my accomplishments, mm-hmm. I don't like yeah, 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 be comfortable in your accomplishments. Don't no stretch me outside of that. Cool. It's good. It's good, Brian. The delusion that he could... Get away, like that it was far enough. The <laughs> delusion <laughs> that he could run from God, right? Somehow, if I go to Tarshish, that would be far enough. <laughs> That's great. Anybody else? Yeah. yeah, he thought his way was best instead of the Hmm. So as this story opens, we see a totally different side of Jonah. Not the hero, not the prophet, not the Facebook fan page. The profound quotes in the perfect image and all the props pictures, right? But we see the real Jonah, the man behind the mask, the self-centered sinner. The guy who doesn't really have it all together. And if you, if you look close enough, you'll see his biggest flaw. And it's, it's really easy to miss. But it's right there in the passage, and it's, it's a side that the ancient rabbis pointed out. His book opens up, by introducing him as what? Jonah, the son of Amittai. Interesting point. Anybody, anybody see the Hebrew? Me either. But when you study it out, you know what Amittai means? Truth. Son of truth. Jonah, the son of truth. And the ancient rabbis said that this was a way of describing the narrative. Jonah's heart. Explain why he's so opposed to this task that God was in. Why he refuses to go to the place where God sent him and, and call them to repentance. Why? He's all truth and the grace. He's all about what's right and what's, what the rules are, but he has no mercy. He's a moralistic achiever. That's what Jonah is. Have you ever met people like that? Moralistic achievers? Rule keepers, high standards for themselves and for everybody else, right? They look down their nose at anyone who breaks the rules and they say stuff like, hey, I worked hard for my stuff. I don't need to share it with you. And they feel safe in their rule keeping. Feel good about themselves and their goodness. But what happens when they fail? Oh, man. It's bad, isn't it? Beat themselves up. Perfectionists. I can't believe I screwed that up. I'm going to work really hard to do it better. Because it's all about what they do, their morals, their achievements. That's Jonah's big problem. He's a moralistic achiever that can't accept the scandal of God's grace for sinners who have not been. For people who haven't been good enough. That's why he ran. How do we know? Because that's what he says. He says it himself. If you fast forward to the end of the story, we find Jonah is ticked off in God. He's ticked! Why? Is it because God so graciously forgives him and pursues him? Is it, is it because God graciously uses him in spite of his, his rebellion against God? Is it because God saves Nineveh? This should be a happy ending to the story, but we find Jonah just ticked off. Look at his response to God. Jonah 4. He finds out about God saves Neba, and this is what he says. It, it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country?
1: That is why I made haste to
0: plead to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and you in your steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than live. Jonas sees an entire city saved by the grace of God. And he's ticked about it. Just kill me. You saved all these rebels? You knew, that's why I ran from you in the first place. I knew you were soft. God, Jonas like that guy named uh, <laughs> Monsieur, some Rob. Yeah. The brother, Javert. Yeah. yeah. Javert. You remember he's a police inspector who can't let Jean Valjean go. He chases him to the ends of the earth. He can't, can't seem to grasp race at all. He's a, he's a moralistic achievement. He's obsessed with catching him. The climax of the story, Javert has this crisis of faith where his moralistic worldview just fails him. And why is that? Because he can't reconcile his understanding of truth with the grace that he sees in the life of Dal So, what's he end up doing? He kills himself, commits suicide. And sorry, I think I spoiled the story for him to be God. Like he can't reconcile God's grace with God's truth. He can't put it together. How can God hate sin and yet love people who are flawed? I can't. I can't get it in my head. He's a quintessential moralistic and achiever who's got his identity in his own works for God instead of God's gracious. Right? All those trophies, this whole identity his life, built in achievement, because of that what does he do? Ironically, he disobeys God. He swings over to the other side and becomes a rebel himself. He can't stand the rebels, but because God is going to give them grace, he can't handle that, he can't reconcile it. He runs from God. He becomes so proud because it's all about his work. He's become corrupted. Like Romans 1, 18 says, only the truth and the righteousness. He becomes the sin he hates. Now he's the rebel walking contradiction, And I don't know if this relates to you, but this, this is the story of my life in so many ways. The, the pendulum swinging wildly back and forth from moralistic achievement to rebellion. Does anybody get there?
1: It's like there's two kinds of
0: people that don't get grace. Those who want to add to the gospel of grace and those who take it. On one side, you've got the the moralistic, you've got the moralistic and the rebellious. Um, and both of them make prerequisites to God. And the moralistic ones, it's all about what their rules and what they do for God, or what they do in life to achieve something. Their identity is found in what they do. And the rebellious ones, because of grace, they don't think they have to do anything. They live this really passive life. It's kind of like the prodigal son, the younger brother, and the prodigal. Um, these people over here, the moralistic side, say, "Hey, I know I'm at the center of God's will because of this." Because I'm working my butt off for God and I'm proving myself to Him. And the ones over on the rebellious side say, hey, "This is a great arrangement because Jesus loves forgiving sin and I love committing sin. This is, is going to work out for a long career, right?" This is what happens. You have these two people, and it's, it's what Paul fights throughout the whole New Testament. Where does this all start?
1: I'll tell you where it starts.
0: These people over here are struggling with something—negative emotion, a sin, an addiction. Something they can't overcome. They've been in accountability groups. They've been in twelve-step programs meetings. They just can't seem to get victory in this area. So their guilt drives them to a law. Their guilt drives them to a formula, a moral: do this, and then it'll fix you. But here's the issue. Does the law really fix us? No. I have a friend who hit a hit the bottom point in his life as an alcoholic. And he went into AA and he got victory over that area. But guess what? Now he's a chain smoker that sleeps like two hours a night and tries to run three different businesses. He's killing himself. Guess what? He's still addicted. His heart didn't change. He was able to bring one area of behavior under control, but he's still an addict. He's still struggling with the same stuff because the law, the formulas, these things in our life that we look to to save us can't save us. They don't change our heart. We've all been there. That's why self-help sections in the bookstore are ginormous, right? We're all looking for ways to fix ourselves. I'll show you the reason why I will not fix you. Uh, the law, all of this is to show you your sin. In fact, the Bible says it even helps arouse it. Like think about this. If sin was an ice cream center, and I said, Thou shalt not eat ice cream, <laughs> do not taste chocolate. Don't even think about like a spoonful of ice cream and heading and toward your mouth, everything could be chocolate fudge. Don't don't think about how the slightly might fill less and not get it. Don't think about it. <laughs> The more the law describes sin, what's that do? You just want it. You built your appetite for it. It doesn't help you not sin. It just makes you want sin more. It reveals sin. It reveals sin. In our broken natures, we want sin more. And that's all we can think about. Like the, like the old preacher said, forbidden fruits create the jams. <laughs> <laughs> If you go to the doctor's office, um, you've got a broken arm, and the nurse comes out, and she says, I'm going to take you the x-ray tech, and we're going to check it out, and take a picture of your arm, that's fine, right? And then you walk back in, and the nurse says, "Okay, at me, I'm going to set it. Wait, what? Hold up. You're not going to set my arm. That's a doctor's job. That's not, your, you're not certified. And it's, it's the same way like with the law. The law is good for something. It shows us God's heart. It shows us God's design for us. It. it shows us our sin. But the law is the only showing to shine certified to shine a light on your heart and show you these issues, but it's not certified to fix us. Moralism cannot help fix you. Achievements, your work, if I do this, then I'll be fixed. Won't change the root of the issue in your But then you've got these other people on the other side. And they're struggling with sin and guilt too and negative emotions, but they respond differently. They say, you know what? I've tried. Forget the law. Done with it. It's not working. I've jumped through every move. I've done everything they told me to do. Forget it. And they just go back from guilt to sin, to guilt to sin, to guilt to sin. It describes 90% of my teenagers. You will understand, son. (laughs) how many of you guys have been there yeah how do you live in a light of true grace how do you live in a light of God's grace most people can't tell you you live over here, you try to do it for a while, it doesn't work you swing back over here it's the pendulum it's the pendulum that is robbing us of the very gracious, abundant life that Jesus came bringing but we start swinging around over here from moralistic achievement to rebellion Trying to do it our own way with God and without God. But none of it is living a life saturated and just enjoying full of God's grace. Right? And I have been that camp kid, man. You're at the camp and it's like full of sin and, and preaching gets up and preaching convicting message, and you're at the fireside and you're like with the log and you walk up there and guys. I said, when I get back, I'm burning my music. Boom, throw it in. $1,000, down the drain. All my CDs gone. And then a week later, I'm like, I don't know, man. It's to really? All for one. I swear, like, It's, it's a good thing to me, promises. I and mean, you don't buy all your CDs again. Say another 1000 bucks. And sometimes we just get stuck living at one end or the other, holding on in this uncomfortable pose. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, have you met people like that? They're just really stuck in the moralistic achievement way of life. It's how you see God. It's how you see others. They, they can't get out of it, and something happens, and they swimming. And they're just, I'm done. God, I can't live up alone to my own, in terms of rebellion, but there's good news today. That is this: this story is all about God's gracious mission. God's gracious mission for the people of Nineveh. God's gracious mission for Jonah and his heart, and for your heart today, and for my heart. Because as we read this story over the next few weeks, we're going to continually see God's Show up in the form of storms and whales and worms and plants and all kinds of stuff. God's grace is going to keep pursuing Jonah and overtaking him. And keep pulling for his heart and saying, no, 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 you can't have freedom. You can't have abundant life in my grace, but you've got to see my grace for what it is and stop trying to do it on your own. God's going to graciously show up over and and let me ask you this, we see that, we see Jonah as in this one place in his life where he is all truth and no grace for anybody. But then he runs the other way, and he ends up over to this side, where he's all that cheap grace with no truth running from God. We see this, it's like lacking grace and lacking truth. Where do we see grace and truth come together? How can we reconcile this thing? Right there in the gospel. We've we've been walking through the gospel according to John. Remember how that gospel opens? John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and John Piper says, Grace without truth isn't grace, and truth without grace isn't truth. When Jesus Christ shows up in me, his life. Grace and truth for you and I. Unfortunately, just like you said at the beginning, Jonah's part of that story. Jonah's just not some isolated story over here. It's not about the whale, folks. It's about a lot more than that. It's about God of grace, and it points us. Jesus came and lived the life of God. A life, a life full of grace. When you look at Jesus, Jesus doesn't show up like just judging and beating up sinners, does he? What does Jesus give to sinners? Grace. Over and over, Jesus didn't hate the rebels and the people who weren't measuring that to give grace to the biggest rebels. And he didn't accept the moralistic achievers because they were good enough. either. Jesus spoke truth to the moralistic people in the community. And he called them to see their lives in the context of God's grace. What he was doing for them, not what they were doing for him. See, we get caught up in our religion when it's all about what we do for God. It robs us. It robs us of what this whole thing is supposed to be. It pulled off course. Maybe two, three, maybe ten. It becomes all about how I'm proving myself to God. I and mean, that doesn't last. We end up swimming the right other We end up missing out on life. But Jesus came for me in life, for the grace and truth. Amen. amen. And what do they do? What did they do to Jesus? They killed him. They killed him for it. When he died to death, Jonah should have died in this story over and over. But well, why does he do it? Because his great love for rebels, his great love for moralists and achievers like you and I. And today it's David's a part. Of. So we're going to wrap it up here soon. I'm going to pray for us. And you can you to come and play one more song, but I want you to think about this. Ask yourself these questions for community. One of the ways we close the service out in our church is we come down to come back to community together, in community, form circles. So as you come down here, if it's your first time, don't feel pressure to come and join a circle. If you're not a believer, um, the, the community is one of those who have already believed this and received Christ. So we want to you know, invite you if you're, um, if you're here and you're a to come to a community. But if you're not, just come join a circle. Come sit in and listen to us as we confess our areas of need, our areas of struggle. And here's three questions that might help you. How are you like Jonah? your moralistic achievement approach to God? How are you like that? How are you like Jonah and your rebellious approach to God? And lastly, how is God's pursuing grace freeing you from that? I just, I just want to pray the gospel of grace over us walking in You guys stand God wants you to be free again. Whether you've never believed or whether you've believed a hundred times, you need to believe again today. God wants you to be free once you see His works for you. So let's pray, and we're going to sing a song all together. And then after that song, those of us who can walk out and take communion. Let's pray. Father, when I see your grace for me in Christ, I feel so free. Your grace frees me from the burden of moral achievement. grace reminds me I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to be the hero of Jonah who makes up cool stuff on my Facebook page for people to like me. I get to remember I'm free, not because of what I've done, but because of what your Son has done for me. As Paul said in Ephesians, For by grace we've been saved through faith. is not of ourselves. It is your yes. gift, not a result of our moralistic achievement, so that power is composed. Jesus, I am. we see the Father's grace for us in you. It frees us from this exhausting rebellion, this running from you like John did, and some of us may even doing right now Knowing what to do when the Word of God comes to us here. You would remind us that we're free today. Not because we've somehow escaped you, but because we've been found in you. We've been found in grace. We can never unwind your gracious love for us. Thank you, God. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd apply this truth to our hearts, warm our hearts with grace, transform us inside and out, and help us to live lives full of grace and truth, not lives marked by moralist achievement or rebellion, by the truth of we love the Lord. Praise things in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm.